You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I have a message in my heart that I want to share with you, um, and I have titled it, Do Hard Things. Do Hard Things. And... Uh, I mentioned last week at the end of my message, I shared a message titled, You Belong, last week. And I mentioned that this week's message was connected to last week's message. But uh, the message last week was about the great lengths that Jesus went through to make sure a community that was seen as less than, a community that was seen as a, a group of people that did not belong to the Jewish heritage, Jesus went through great lengths to make them belong. And he bridged that gap. And in that, in that, he shared the mission of his ministry. Not only that, in that, he shared the heart of God for every single one of us. The heart of God for mankind. And the heart of God for mankind, the end game of this whole thing, it's very plain and simple. There's no secret about it. God wants you to fully belong to him. Fully belong to him. With all your faculties, with all your thoughts, with all your whole self. But also, God wants us to belong to each other. To belong to one another. And that was the heart of the message last week. And the reason why I shared uh, last week's message before this week. Because this week, really, it's a prequel. Last week's was the sequel. But I wanted to share the end from the beginning to make a point. That sometimes when you start something, sometimes when you begin something, you got to know where you're going. You have to know the end. You have to know the direction that you're going. It's vital for us to know the end game. And the end game, again, with Jesus and God and this whole thing that we are uh, here for, is no surprise. God wants us to belong. Belong to him and belong to others. So today I want to continue with uh, this idea but take more of a focus on what it takes sometimes for us to live this kind of life that we want to live. What it takes sometimes. And sometimes it takes us engaging and doing things that are hard, that are not easy. And considering the final objective will really help us with that. Uh, and, and the proof is that we, we have witnessed many times, right? When uh, people engage in, in a task or a project without really knowing where it's going and the end. You know, uh, probably you've witnessed that sweet young couple that really wants to have a baby. And, you know, all they want is just to hold and cuddle that little child and just have him in their arms the whole time. And every parent here in the room knows that if you have a baby, you're not just going to spend your whole time like this cuddling that little child and looking, gazing at the beautiful child. You're going to spend most of your time changing dirty, dark, dirty diapers, washing, cleaning, cooking. And the times that you will be required to hold a baby are probably the times that you don't really want to hold a baby, say, 3 in the morning. Those are the times that the baby goes like, yeah, you can hold me now. You can hold me now. The other thing that's important to consider, you got to consider the end game, man. If you want to have a baby, you got to consider the end game. Because uh, the other thing that we need to consider is that a baby will not stay, stay a baby for a long time. For, for uh, long. A baby will not remain a baby for long. I mean, look around the room. We were all babies once. Now we are only babies sometimes. 
especially the guys. <laughs> we were all babies once, but we grew, and so will the child. So if a parent who wants to have a child has to consider the end game, and the reality is this, your child will spend their time as your child most of their lives as an adult. Most of the time, the, 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 if you were to break down the years that you will spend with your child, most of those years will be as adults together. So when you have a baby, you're really having a man, a woman, and you have that responsibility to invest and to grow. You got to consider the end game. It's important for us to consider the end. And that's true in every other area. That's true if you're starting a business, if you're beginning a relationship, if you're planning something new in your life. It's true for many, many areas of our lives. It is vital for us to consider the end because if you know where you're going, if you know the end game, if you know the objective, all of those unforeseeable circumstances that arise, all of those unforeseeable things that you didn't know were going to happen, when they come at you, you have something to stand on because you know where you're going. It's also important for direction so that you keep your focus because beginnings, especially beginnings, can be hard. Beginnings can be messy if you have a dream, a vision, a desire to start something new. You will face things at the beginning that you will not face throughout the entire course of that project or mission. In fact, if you've moved here from somewhere else, if you started college recently, if you began a new relationship, if you started a family or had a baby, you probably went through, or maybe you're going through right now, hardships that, are, that pertain, that they exist just in that beginning season. That beginning season can be very hard, but you got to go through it. You got to go through it. You got to push through it because as you do that, you will grow in determination. As you do that, you will grow on the inside in commitment and you will grow as a whole. You will develop that never say die attitude. But it's true. It is hard. It is hard to have no margin in your life, to have no margin of time or money and still have to give your best. It's hard to have no margin of time in your life and still have to show up. And be there. It's hard to have a vision and to see something that no one else around you can see. It's hard to believe for something when no one else believes. It's hard to have faith amid this belief and amid circumstances that are rejecting circumstances amid the naysayers. But guess what? If your life is going to mean something, if you're, if you're going to live for something worthwhile, you're going to have to go through some hard seasons. You're going to have to go through some hard things and engage and do hard things. Because you have talents. You have things on the inside that you're meant to come out. And some of them will develop through hard situation, situations. Now, I believe with all my heart that if you took time to be here this morning, if you took time to get in your car and come to this place, if you're listening or watching right now at this moment something in you is calling you out to join uh, God's plan for your life something in you is has stirred you to the point that you're like you know what I want to I want to better my life I want to get to the next level I want to see things improve and whether you're at the beginning at the middle or at the end of something you know, if you, if you are facing hard situations right now or if, if they are 
going to be present in the near future. There are a few things that we need to learn about ourselves and our hearts for us to face it with faith, knowing that God is with us and for us. And I want to share a few things here later in the message today that we will all face based on scripture that we will all face. And uh, I'm going to turn to uh, the life of John right now because that's what happened to John. John was the person, John the Baptist was the person who came right before Jesus started his ministry. And he had a daunting task. John had a mission and a calling to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. He had a calling to prepare the way. Now, he hadn't met him. He didn't really know who the Messiah was in the beginning. But he had that conviction. This is the mission of my life. This is what I have to do. And the life of John is well documented in all four Gospels. And uh, there are accounts of, of John that are present in all four Gospels. And it is said that John had a tremendous influence over the people all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the, the villages around the Jordan. And they were all coming to John to listen to his message. They were all coming to John the Baptist to be baptized and to listen to the message that he was preaching. He began a movement. It was a great movement. He gained notoriety from uh, the, the people in power. He, people noticed him because of the movement that he began. In fact, Matthew writes that he began preaching a message and his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Why he mentioned uh, uh, the kingdom of God. But repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. This was a message of changing of mind, of thinking differently. Mark writes this, that, that he began by saying that after him, she said, he said, after me comes one who is mightier than I am. Someone who's the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And so does John. John, the Apostle John, writes about uh, John the Baptist saying that priests and Levites in Jerusalem were trying to figure out who this guy was. Who is this guy who is leading a crowd and baptizing people? So they went to John and they wanted to find out what was this thing all about. Who is this guy who's starting this movement? They went to John and they asked, John, are you the Christ? He said, no. I'm not the Christ. All right. John, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Well, John, are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. Then why are you baptizing people for? Which is code for, what is all this ruckus? What are you doing, Johnny? Why are you starting all this? What's up with all of this? Why are you doing what you're doing then? And he said, well... After me comes one who is mightier than I am. In other words, he was saying, you're asking me if I'm doing all this for myself. No, 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 no. It's not for myself. What I'm starting, what I'm beginning is because of him. And among you, he said, among you right now, it, there is one that you do not know. And that was the beginning of the life of John. But I want to turn to Luke's account because Luke's account gives us a very, very interesting uh, look. It gives us a window into the things that the people around John and John himself were facing. The circumstances around 
that time. And I tell you this, it was a very far-fetched message that he was preaching if Jesus was not who John said Jesus was. If Jesus was not who he said he was, what John was doing was way, way, way far-fetched. So let's look at Luke because Luke writes what he says to be an orderly account. He did his research. Luke was not only a medical doctor, he was also a historian. And he writes very specifically, uh, and he begins the chapter 3 of his gospel, chapter 3 of Luke, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at that. Look at how he writes. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of uh, Euterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and, Ca and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is not a guy writing off the cuff. Nobody uses the word Trachonitis <laughs> if you're just writing off the cuff, all right? Trachonitis, what is that anyways? This is a man who is writing and he's saying, check the facts. This is, this, is, this is when it happened. It would be like you, if this is your first time here, it would be like you asking around and talking to people who were here from the beginning and getting stories and, and testimonies from the witnesses that were here, our team that began this church. And you went home, started your word processor, and began to write in the seventh year of the presidency of Barack Obama. Danielle Malloy being the governor of Connecticut. And David Martin being the mayor of Stanford, Connecticut. Connect Community began gathering at Ripple One Middle School Auditorium to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're saying, check the facts. 2,000 years from now, people can go like, no, Connect Community didn't really exist. And they will look at your text and go, wait, in the seventh year of Barack Obama, something going on. There was something going on. That's what Luke is doing here. He's saying, check the facts, go back on the records, and you can see not only that this happened, but you can, have a, 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 you can know what was going on around this situation. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time right now giving you the context of what John had to face to start, to begin the hard things he had to go through to begin this movement that has reached us here today. He went through some hardships and he did something really hard. According to John or according to Luke, this took place in the year 29 AD because the 15th year of uh, Tiberius Caesar was the year 29. Tiberius was an emperor of Rome, and he was the emperor for 23 years, from years uh, 14 through year 37 AD. And Luke begins describing what happened in the year 29. Now, Tiberius started as a somewhat altogether emperor. He was somewhat okay compared to the other emperors. You know, he began his reign with a focused idea of making Rome powerful and rich. He focused on power and wealth for the empire of Rome. He wanted his lineage to last as long as possible. So he began his rule by securing the empire and investing into the navy. He built 
a, a powerful, powerful uh, navy, and he secured a lot of wealth for the empire. He also stopped the gladiatorial games, and uh, he abandoned a lot of the extravagant practices of respect for his office. So in that, he gained respect. In that, a lot of people admired him, but this was not... This was not a, a bed of roses here. This was not a beautiful uh, paradise. This was a power play. He had power in mind. And by the time John the Baptist began this, uh, uh, his ministry, began proclaiming the gospel, Tiberius was 69 years old. And a few things had gone wrong with his plan. Mainly, a lot of his su successors, the ones that he wanted to succeed and had died, including his son. And so he retreated. He retreated with his guards, and he moved the base of the Roman Empire to Capri, and he established, uh, uh, history tells us that he established uh, his base in Capri, and by then, he became a disfigured, really ugly person physically, but also in his heart. He was really ugly. He was killing for pleasure. He was oppressing uh, the people and doing a lot, a lot of bad things, and this is the reality that John the Baptist walks into. And there were a couple of specific developments that we learned from history that affected the Jewish people specifically. Firstly, uh, there were four, on account of four Jews that plotted to steal the treasure of a woman, Tiberius expelled all the Jews from Rome. He basically kicked them all out. He said, no Jews in Rome. And the second thing that used to happen that was popular in those days is the, the, the practice of delation. And the Latian worked this way. In the Roman Empire, there was no paid prosecutor. So anybody could volunteer to become a prosecutor. And if anybody had a charge against anybody else, it didn't mean that it was only an offense to you that you can go and prosecute somebody. You could prosecute anybody for anything. And there was two incentives in that. First is that uh, for law-abiding citizens, the way the, Romer, the Roman Empire uh, uh, corrected them was by, uh, by imposing fines, really heavy fines. But the second incentive is not only that that money would go to the empire, but the person prosecuting, the delator, would get a cut. They would get a commission. So there was a double incentive for those people to prosecute. And what that resulted was the thumb of the empire hard on the people. You got to walk on the straight and narrow because if you don't, there's an opportunity for the empire to gain wealth on you. And there's an opportunity for people all around you to volunteer and accuse you. And what, that, what happened to is that people began to come up with fake accusations against other people just so they can get the cut from that fine. And they became career delators. They became career prosecutors even though it was a volunteer position. All that to say is that corruption was rampant, and there was no sense of justice, really. Justice wasn't blind, okay? Justice was greedy. And this is the world that John the Baptist begins to share the message that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus is uh, uh, coming, or the Messiah is coming. And Luke, I love what Luke shared because Luke not only shares the relevance of John the Baptist's ministry to Jesus, but he shares the relevance of John the Baptist's ministry to the times. And we will see this, that even though this, our two worlds are apart, far apart in many, many, many ways, especially technology and the way we live our lives, when it comes to the matters of the heart, 
when it comes to the matter of how we deal with each other, how we treat each other, some of the pitfalls, some of the things that we face, some of the temptations are very, very much the same. Very much the same. So Luke continues, verses 4 through 6. Here's what he says. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now this, this is rich. Okay, this is, this is rich. This is powerful. This is much more than Luke trying to add some poetry and some ancient literature to make the reader more interested. All right, this is way more than Luke trying to add some, some reference to an old prophet to make sure that, you know, we, we, his writing looks good. This is more than religious literature, too. Luke is making a powerful, powerful connection here. On purpose, he lists the people in power. And on purpose, he brings the prophecy of Isaiah. In other words, what he's saying is, remember a few years ago when Tiberius Caesar was in power. Remember how the world was. Remember how the world functioned. Well, God promised that he was going to send a voice crying in the wilderness. And that he was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And this is what's going to happen. When he prepares the way of the Lord... Every mountain will be made low and every valley will be filled. Now this, this is powerful because this has powerful power implications. If you know uh, the scriptures, you know that in the Old Testament, a mountain was not just a physical mountain. A mountain represented power, strength over others. A mountain represented in many times people in power. A lot of the prophets that wrote in the Old Testament when they talked about the mountains... They talked about the people in power. And valleys meant a position of weakness. Valley means, meant a position of vulnerability. And many times it meant the people that are oppressed and the people who are destitute. And what Luke is saying, listen, you remember how things worked. You remember the corruption all around. Well, God sent the voice. To prepare the way for the kingdom of God. And this is what the kingdom of God will do. Every mountain will be made low. And every valley will be filled. And if you don't think the message of Jesus. If you don't think this life is about equality. My God, it's all over. It's all over the scriptures. The ability of us to see each other. Not more or less than. But equals together. Children of God. This was a promise for the hearers, people who heard it, people who read the, what Luke wrote. They understood that this was a promise against injustice. This was a promise against oppression. And this is how John the Baptist prepared the way. Now, I want to share this with you because in the same way that hearts were prepared for the life of God to come in 2,000 years ago, our hearts need to be prepared today to receive the kingdom of God as well. And you will see here that a lot of the pitfalls are the same. They're similar. You know, and, they, and, then, and some of, the, 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 some of the, the actions that we need to take, they're hard. 
There are hard things that we need to do and engage in. So let's continue on Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, our last scripture of the day. And the crowds asked him, they asked John the Baptist, What then shall we do to enter the kingdom, to be baptized into the kingdom? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Then the tax collectors came. They also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And then the soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. You see here, the Latian right there. Do not extort money by, from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be content with your wages. Now this was before maces and refrigerators, okay? So food and tunics were very hard to get by, to come by. It wasn't too difficult for somebody not to have food for that day because food spoiled very easily. And those were the highest needs of the day. But if you pay attention to what John is addressing here, John is addressing three things. He's addressing greed. He's addressing corruption. And it's a compound. He's addressing, addressing extortion and defamation. Now, what I think it's interesting you know, is that John calls people to repentance. He began by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what he's saying, if you are to be part of this, if you are to begin and engage in this life, you need to take the hard step of changing your mind. you got to look at what your, our world differently. And this was a world that was, was surrounded by bad practices and greed and corruption and, and extortion. And he's looking at these people. They have the power. They are mountains. They have the power to suppress and oppress people. And he's saying, you shouldn't do that. In fact, you should care. You should look at people and, and see if there's any way that you can help them. So in addressing this, in addressing this, uh, uh, these things that they were facing, John basically is saying, before you point the finger at the people around you, look at your heart. Look inside your heart and, and make sure that you are engaging this life in the best way possible. And for greed, he countered with generosity. He said, you got to live generously. I like the definition of greed that Andy Stanley gives. Andy Stanley is a pastor down in Atlanta. And he came up with a definition of his own that's very on the money, I think. Uh, and he says that greed is the assumption everything is for my consumption. Greed is the assumption. Everything is from my consumption. And for that feeling that everything that I can get my hands on is for me, everything that I work for is for me, everything that I have is for me, that feeling can be so consuming. It can, you know, just cause us to not pay attention to people who are in need, to people who are around us, and to reach out to them. And uh, John the Baptist is saying here, you know what? The way you prepare your heart is by doing it's the hard task. Even when you will be impugned. You know, people were being greedy and being impugned. Nothing was happening to them. But he said, you got to start by being generous. Look at people. Care. And we get this concept, the basic element of this concept, right? We teach our, we teach our children that sharing is caring. 
We teach the people around us that sharing is caring. But there's a deeper, deeper level in our hearts that we need to uh, embrace. And uh, generosity is one of them. The second thing that he, uh, that he encouraged was for people to live with integrity. That's how you would attack corruption. Integrity of heart, integrity of mind. And uh, my definition, my personal definition of integrity, and you can borrow if you want, is that integrity is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Integrity is it's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You don't need any other reason to do the right thing. Not because somebody's watching you. Not because you're going to be fined if you don't. Not because of any other reason other than it is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to stand by your vows. If you're a husband or a wife. It's the right thing to pay your bills. It's the right thing to do the right thing, to treat people nicely, to be kind. It is the right thing to do. And we are called to live in integrity. We are called to leave, live that way. And the, the last item that he uh, said was, be content. Be content. Now, this is, this is very important for you and I, and this is something that we need to learn every day. And I, and I could preach messages on this, but I want to give you this, just one nugget, okay? Contentment is the ability of not succumbing to every single appetite that you have. Because we have appetites. But this is the thing about appetites. Appetites can never be fulfilled. Jerry Seinfeld has, has a joke about appetites. He said, oh, my mom kept saying that if I eat now, I'm going to ruin my appetite. Well, if the appetite is gone, there's another appetite coming right away. <laughs> there's millions of appetites that will come. And it's true. An appetite can never be fulfilled. If you're hungry, you eat, you're going to be hungry again. If you want more, you're going to want more again. You can never reach full fulfillment. But being content is not about appetite. Being content is about living in purpose. A, 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 a content person moves by purpose, not by appetite. And this is what John preached. And now this is what I think is interesting, all right, looking at the full circle of what happened. From Tiberius Caesar, fostering a culture of corruption, a culture of greed, a culture of extortion. And John the Baptist beginning, having the hard task of looking people in the eye and saying, you need to live differently. You need to choose generosity. You need to choose integrity. You need to choose contentment. And in less than 300 years... Less than 300 years. This is amazing. In less than 300 years, the person sitting on the seat of Tiberius Caesar, his name was Constantine. He was the emperor of Rome. Less than 300 years later, he professed himself to be a Christian. This movement took over the entire community. This movement took over the world. The entire world. And my encouragement for you today is this, okay? We're living 2,000 years later, and this is a broad uh, uh, message, right? But 2,000 years later, isn't, aren't these elements elements that we still face? Every time you begin something, when you find hardship, you can, you can trace it back to these three things. Greed, uh, corruption, and defamation. Those are the three reasons Jesus went to the cross and was killed. Those are the three reasons many of the apostles were killed. Greed. Corruption, defamation. And now, my challenge to you to this morning is to live a life where your eyes are open. And if there's any opportunity for you to be drawn into these pitfalls, you may do the hard thing of rising above it 
and say, you know what? I'm going to live generously. I'm going to pay attention to those around me and offer what I can to help them. I'm going to live with integrity. Even if nobody's looking, even if nobody is asking me to do, I'm going to do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And you know what? I'm going to live content. Content with the life that God has blessed me with. Content with the things that I have right now. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to progress. That doesn't mean that you're not going to take the next step. That doesn't mean that you're not going to reach your dreams. What it means is that you're going to live by purpose and not by appetite. What it means is that you're going to live a kind of life that you are guided and directed by God. Not by simply the passions and the whims of the flesh. You receive it this morning. Amen. Would you mind?